combination, combination, combination. <laughs> what up, what up, what up, everyone? Welcome to episode 202. You heard that right, episode 202 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast at rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the show. We here at Combo's Court would greatly appreciate it. Today's show, Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, joins in a great conversation with Howard. Can't wait for you all to hear it. You could find Howard on Twitter at Howard Beck. That's H-O-W-A. R-D-B-E-C-K. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Quick note about the show, man. A slight audio issue on my end. Howard's audio was great, but you'll be able to hear the whole conversation, and I think you'll really enjoy it. My audio quality should be back up to normal by next episode. So sit back, relax, or if you're walking, driving, eating, whatever you're doing while you're listening to Combo's Court, man. Just enjoy the show. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Welcome to Combos Court. How are you feeling today? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Your message with TNT was amazing. How did that come together? And for those that didn't hear it, can you elaborate on that message? Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you. So I, the, the video that I did, it was a video essay. It was about three and a half minutes long, and it was uh, pretty straightforward. It was that uh, people who look like me, white people, <laughs> should be listening to NBA players and other black people in America during this moment uh, in our history where there is a very powerful movement going on to address systemic racism and police brutality and many other things that are wrapped up into that. And the point of that was that there were multiple things, but the, the initial thought was TNT had extended an, an invitation to those of us at Bleacher Report magazine, BR Mag, to contribute to this new show, The Arena, which they launched to coincide with the bubble, with the NBA restart. And the idea was that unlike other NBA TV shows or unlike inside the NBA on TNT, I think this was to capture the moment. And the moment was restarting the NBA season amid a pandemic, in a bubble, and amid social unrest uh, that began most recently, of course, with the George Floyd killing and the protests that followed. And NBA, the NBA, of course, and NBA players have been very much part of that. So... TNT said, let's, let's launch this show that kind of tries to capture all of this, this unusual restart and all the issues that are uh, surrounding it. So um, what, what kept coming back to me, Andrew, as I, as I watched the league restart and as I started pondering ways to contribute to this show, and it was open-ended. It could be a social justice essay. It could be basketball specifically and, 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 and solely. It could be anything. But what, what I kept thinking about was that these messages on the jerseys, there were, I think, 29 approved messages. And some were very straightforward, like Black Lives Matter or, you know, uh, you know 
justice, equality, um, education reform. And those were more platitudes or, or, or very direct, obvious kind of, of keywords, right? But then there were a few that stood out to me. Respect us, listen to us, hear us. And I kept thinking about those and, the, and, and what those were intended for. And the, the, the intent was, you know, you know, black people don't have to tell other black people what's going on in this country when, when it regards discrimination, racism, police brutality. So black NBA players who are wearing listen to us they're talking to a different audience. It's not other black people. It's white people or anybody who's not black or anybody. Right. That's why those messages resonated most with you. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and it, so one, it resonated with me because I, I, to me, there was a recognition that that's what that was about. It's it, that, that was aimed at a specific audience. Um, but two, um, I just think that we are in a time where that's what's necessary. If we're ever going to fix some of the, the uh, you know, problems that have plagued us as a society for literally centuries, it's going to take white people who are still the, the majority by population to, to work on this. It, it, you know, it, this cannot be the responsibility solely of black people or other ethnic minorities in, in the U.S. to fix problems that were created mostly by a white society and that are sustained still by a white majority, you know, we all have to be part of this. And so I understand that I recognize that what I my plea in that video, in, in I hope the most constructive and non preachy way possible was to say, listen, other white people, um, it's our obligation to listen, they're asking they're they're pleading with us to listen, um, they being black players, black NBA players or black Americans, period. So that was the idea. And um, so I, you know, once that that invitation from the Turner producers was extended, I just started kind of putting those thoughts together. Uh, wrote up a script. They 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 liked it. We made a couple of you know minor tweaks to just I think streamline, and then we went and and you know shot it in a, uh, a kind of basement space uh, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. With the court, with there was definitely a court there too. There was, a, there was yeah. A, yeah, there was a hoop. There was a hoop. You know, um, your Twitter profile says, I will not stick to sports. When you, um, during your time maneuvering through your career, were there times where whatever outlet you were working for told you, we don't really want you to talk outside of the sports realm? So my journalism career starts in uh, the dark ages of 1991, um, <laughs> in a time before the internet. And my journalism career starts solely as, as a newspaper reporter. Um, and... Newspapers have a pretty strict kind of, of, of uh, you know, value system and rules, strictures governing all reporters. Even if you work in sports, it's the same rules as if you were covering federal government or local government or, or anything in news. And those rules are basically, you got to have a, a, a veneer of, you know, objectivity. I know like people attack that, that concept. It's not so much about being objective. We all have opinions. It's more about a detachment. It's a professional detachment. Do not get involved. Do not sign petitions. Do not donate to political candidates. Do not put a candidate sign on your lawn. I don't have a lawn, but if I had one, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically keeping a professional distance. Similarly, as a sports writer, that extends to I'm not going to wear the gear of any particular NBA team because I cover the NBA and it shouldn't appear, even if I just liked the, the hat. Now it looks like I'm a Raptors fan if I put on a Raptor hat and now Warriors fans are going to be during the final saying, wait, I saw you in a Raptors hat. Aren't you a Raptor? No. The idea is to be professionally detached so that you have the credibility required to do the job without people 
attacking and saying, no, 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 you're biased or you're against us, whether that's in sports, whether that's in politics or anything. That's the are those, premise. Are those lines blurred now, though? The so way, they yeah. are. Yeah, no, they are. Uh, listen, I, I, I believe in those rules very strongly. I have adhered to those rules for most of my adult life, um, even, even as a student journalist at, at UC Davis once upon a time. Um, however, <laughs> a couple of things. Um, and when I, was, I should note too, my, in my time at the New York Times where I spent nine years, um, the Times has a stricter line on that than anybody, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Twitter did not exist up until whatever, 2006, seven. So yeah. there was not an, there wasn't even really an avenue for a lot of us to cross that line anyway. When you cite my Twitter bio that says I will not stick to sports, one, I have the luxury of working for a place now in Bleacher Report that doesn't care. It's not traditional media. It's not the New York Times. It's not a newspaper. So they don't have any strict rules the way uh, that I was bound before in newspapers. Two, I have a platform in Twitter and now, you know, in a podcast and other areas where I can express my political views or my views on social justice or anything else um, and not really have to worry about it. That was something that I had to get used to doing. It wasn't something that I set out to do. I've been at Bleacher Report since 2013. I guarantee you, if you looked at my feed, I would not encourage anybody to do this. If you looked at my feed from 2013 to 20, say 16, you probably wouldn't see a ton of political posts. From 2016 forward, you might see a lot more for obvious reasons. And I have kind of uh, vowed to myself because I I would rather it just be mostly about the NBA with the occasional political post. Uh, As soon as this country is back on track and returned to some semblance of normalcy, at the federal level, um, hopefully very soon. I hope that my Twitter feed will become a little less political. So yeah, uh, let's actually uh, shift away from politics and to basketball. Absolutely. Uh, Howard, you know, I've I've always had the Lakers. I'll I'll put that out there, winning this all. But, you know, I think the Heat are such a great story. And I was just driving yesterday. And sometimes I get some of my best thoughts. I really get to sit down and think while I'm driving, which it sounds crazy, but that's just the way it is for me. And I'm just thinking about, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing in transition. And then I just think about some of the Heat. They have some weak links. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. Like, I tweeted it as well. I'm like, I'm really concerned about the Heat when it comes to transition defense. And it was much more than that. I mean, Anthony Davis looked like Will Chamberlain out there at points. Um, what were your thoughts pre-game one? What are your thoughts now that you've seen game one and just going forward? Yeah, um, you know, predictions are, are, are flimsy and cheap, um, but we all make them because it's fun to make them. My, my thought when put on the spot for this was Lakers in seven um, okay. because I thought the, you know, there were just enough deficiencies in the Laker rotation and just enough respect that I have also for the Heat and kind of their, their balanced approach, the depth of their rotation. And they're, you know, up until now, um, pretty, pretty stingy, tenacious defense that I thought they can, they can push this to the distance. I, I, I believe that. Um, I, you know, I'll look, we always overreact on these things. And I always, I can, yeah. I need to look this up one day. So I, when I cite this, I can cite it more specifically. But there was one of the two Lakers, excuse me, um, Heat Spurs series. You know, they played the back-to-back years. I'm trying to remember which one it was. It might have been the first year where 
we swung from like 25 point win in one direction to a 27 point win in the other direction. It was, it was like something wild. Like each team was winning by double digits for three or four straight games. And every single time one team routed the other, you thought that's it. They figured it out. It's over. They're winning the rest of these games and the series is going to be over by Thursday or whatever it was. And it's, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, in general. Now, occasionally, you know, it's been a long time since we've had a sweep in the, in the finals. Or actually, I guess it's not been that long. No, the Warriors swept the Cavs the one year. Before that, I think it hadn't been since uh, Lakers-Nets. Uh, um, but occasionally, you have a pretty lopsided finals. But most of the time, what happens is, you know, things just broke wrong on a given night. Uh, matchups were bad. They figure out, you know, some rotation tweaks, whatever. And so, and, and besides that, each game is its own entity. You know, it, it just... Yeah there's and sometimes there's no explaining that it's it's just the way guys come out some nights maybe about energy maybe about who's in rhythm whatever how you know how how you felt when you woke up that morning in this case my concern is that that actually was a, a preview of things to come not because i think that the heat would be that badly overmatched overall but because now bam adebayo has got a shoulder thing and he's vowing to play but how much is that going to potentially limit him and dragic has a torn plantar fascia and how long is it going to take for him to, to get back into the rotation, if he even can? Um, and then Jimmy Butler, all right, look, he, he gutted it out, and you couldn't even tell necessarily that he had, torn, or that he had uh, rolled his ankle, but that looked like a pretty bad roll. So now you've got their two best players and arguably their third most important player in Dragic. I'd say they're uh, three best players. Yeah, I, I, I think you could say their three best players are all banged up. Um, that does not bode well when you're going up against LeBron James on a mission and Anthony Davis, who's the top five player. You mentioned Jimmy Butler. You had a great conversation with Bernie Lee. I listened to it, actually. Uh, what did you learn from that conversation? And is it safe to say that this bubble just kind of fit Jimmy's personality perfectly? You know, he's selling coffee for $20. He, he could just focus on basketball. I mean, this is a tough situation for everybody, but it seemed yeah. like it fit Jimmy and the Heat pretty well. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny. Um, you know, I, I think we all have a pretty strong and accurate impression of, of Jimmy Butler. We know, we know who he is and what he's about. Um, but I hadn't really thought about it until Bernie and I were talking about the idea that, that maybe Jimmy was built for that bubble better than most. Um, that, yes, you know, this is a really unusual and stressful and strange and discomforting environment where you're going and, and, and isolating from family and friends and, everybody and the whole world for it's now whatever, 86 days and counting or something for these guys. That's a long time. And it definitely affected guys. And it, it definitely had an impact. And there were teams or players where maybe it had a bigger impact than others. And I think, you know, look, that's, that doesn't mean anybody is stronger or weaker than anybody else. Let's be clear. This is a mental health issue that we're talking about. And we should treat it seriously. It is a strain, and I think it, it just affects everyone differently. I do think that Jimmy Butler, being the person that he is, would be the most likely to say, F it, I don't care. We're, I'm just powering through. I'm focused. I'm on a mission, um, and I'm going to keep myself sane through, uh, through other ways. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start up my, my own you know, coffee company out of my hotel room and charge people 20 bucks a cup and have fun with that. And then somebody um, in the coaching staff has one for a lot cheaper, right? And he always sells the, black coffee. Might have been the trainer. Yeah, or something like manager, that. Yeah. Somebody, yeah, somebody else started up like, uh, I think it was a Malika Andrews story, a great piece by, by Malika about, yeah, the, the rival coffee uh, outfit. So, 
I, I just, I do think like, and I, and I respect Jimmy for that too. Like finding ways to, you know, keep yourself engaged, distracted, entertained, whatever. Um, look, I didn't go to the bubble. I had, I had considered it when they first were, were describing what they were going to do. And my first thought was I, I, I can't like I, 90 days away from family, you know, locked on this campus. Um, nobody would volunteer to do that. And I think I'll tell you now, we will, we are going to be hearing some stories now that most of the league is out of there. Now that we are within potentially a week to, to, to two weeks uh, from the end of the season, I think we're going to hear more stories about how difficult this really was. Yeah, so many coaching firings. Um, it's it's crazy. Is it fair to say that just coaching in the NBA, there's a good chance you're going to get fired eventually, unless you're Spo or Pop? And All of I know them. that's a I, I know that's a pessimistic way to look at it, but I mean, you got guys like Nate McMillan and, and Billy Donovan who've done great jobs, and they were fired. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, coaches have have a cliche that they trot out now and then. Coaches are hired to be fired, and it's true. And in the NBA, the average coaching tenure is somewhere in the, like the two and a half to three and a half year range, I believe. Um, most coaches don't make it beyond that. There was a really long stretch for a while. I haven't looked it up recently where coach of the year was the kiss of death. Everybody won coach of the year within a, a, a year to two years after that, they'd been fired. Um, and, and it happened, you know, like I was gonna say, it happens to the best of them. Well, clearly it does happen to the best because Coach of the year in a given year is presumably the guy who did the best job that year. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a volatile profession. Maybe it's become even more so in recent years. I think the fact that, all right, so you've got a, a wave of, of, of younger owners or newer owners who are uh, many of them billionaires, many of them titans of industry somewhere else. It's not the old NBA where this was for a lot of owners uh, maybe 20 years ago, their sole or primary business. Now it's these guys make a fortune in real estate or in finance, and then they come and they buy an NBA team. They think they've got it all figured out. All of them think they know this. They all think it's easy. They all think they know more than, than everybody else. That's, that's part of being a rich person, I think. Um, so they're impatient. So that's part of it. You have players who are more empowered than ever um, in, in a variety of ways, both to influence the franchise and to choose their destination. And they're on shorter contracts than they've ever been historically because it used to be that there was no limit on years of a contract. Then it became seven at most, then six, now five and four for most guys. So there's always, the clock's always ticking. So there's just a volatile environment and a, a very uh, tenuous uh, environment for everybody involved. And, and so for coaches, lesser for GMs, but especially coaches, I think you're just, the clock's always ticking. There's always a ton of pressure. And yeah, unless you're Pop or Spolstra, um, look, Doc's seven-year run, that was a shocker this week, but still seven years is, is about twice the length of the average coaching tenure these days. So Doc had a pretty nice long run there. Um, Carlisle is on whatever it's been, 10, 11 years, 12 years That's with true. Dallas. Um, so he's, he's the other one who's in that kind of untouchable category. Like Pop, Spolstra, and Carlisle will go when they feel it's time to go. What did you make of Doc's firing? Because I think many thought that if it were to happen, it would happen right after their loss. Um, I think they should have ran it back and let it, you know, it's only one year with all of them together. And uh, Doc meant so much to that organization. I think I would have ran it back one more year. What were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts were um, some, some shock because of my regard for, for Doc Rivers. And I think the, you know, the whole league's regard for Doc Rivers and the job he's done there. Um, right. And, 
to your point, the context of it. Well, you just had the strangest season in NBA history, no fault of the Clippers. Paul George started the season uh, rehabbing his shoulders after offseason surgery, so he was behind the eight ball. He comes back. He starts trying to get in rhythm. Now Kawhi's doing load management. They're never getting much time on the court together. They have this funky chemistry anyway because they were a 48-win team with a bunch of overachieving role players, and then they graft on two stars, and you got to mesh – the, all those 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 talents and you've got to you, you got some guys who had bigger roles before who now have to to stand back a little that's a chemistry issue and a concern from day one they start to get on a roll in february and march just before the shutdown then the league shuts down they come back but they come back with montres harrell lou williams and patrick beverly all having to miss time in the bubble because of family issues outside of the bubble they never had a chance to really get their chemistry right could we start quibbling over Doc's rotations and, and the choices he made about Montres Harold's minutes versus Ivaka Zubac? Yeah, that's like, that's like hindsight 2020 stuff that we always go to. And I think people flagged it even in the moment, and that's fine. Like, but a coach can make a bad decision in a series and maybe even say that that's the reason they lost. I'm not sure if it was, but if you, if you want to put it on that, fine. That's not a reason to fire an established, successful coach who's one of the best in the league and who is a great leader of men and who has a championship to his resume. Like I just, that to me, it feels hasty and ill-timed. I'm with you. I think they should have ran it back and had a full, I don't know if we're getting a full normal season next season, whenever that is, but whatever the, whatever it is, it will be closer to that for the Clippers because they will at least have had that much more time together. I, <clears throat> I think that's the way they should have gone. Sometimes we don't know everything at the moment that it happens. Sometimes the, 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 the true concerns leak out later. Um, I'll be curious to see if we learn a little bit more in the weeks to come or months to come about what other reservations there might have been that led to this decision. Howard, I'm hearing a lot of CP3 talk to Milwaukee, and I'm just not a huge fan of that because I think they'll have a window there and the adjustment for Giannis will be grand. He won't be able to play with the ball as much. What are you hearing and what are your thoughts on that move if it were to happen? So the first thing is whether or not the Thunder even really want to trade him. Um, yeah. And look, a year ago at this time or whenever the heck it was, um, before last season, before this season started, I, I, don't, I don't know what day, time, year, it's October 1st, <laughs> the finals of game one, it's so weird. Um, when, the, when the Thunder first got Chris Paul, the premise, uh, the thought among people was, all right, They've launched the rebuild. They jettisoned Paul George and Russell Westbrook. They got all these picks. They're going to rebuild, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't make sense for Paul to be there. But they had this phenomenal season. And Chris Paul clearly had great value to them. There are two ways to look at that. One would be keep going because of the strength of, of his personality and what he's done for, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who may be the future of that franchise, what he did for – Dennis Schroeder, who had best season of his career, the leadership that Chris Paul brings, that's a hard thing to replace. On the other hand, he's making 40 something million a season for the next two years. And he is up there in years. And yeah, I mean, if you, you, if you want to sell high, it makes sense. And I, listen, I'm, I'm throwing up a caution flag because I think logically it's possible they go either way. Do I think that the most logical thing to do is to move him and sell high? Yeah, of course. I, I'm sure Sam Presti will be having those conversations. I'm sure that he and Chris Paul will be having those conversations because Chris Paul deserves that kind of, of uh, you know, courtesy at this stage of his career as an all-time great as a future Hall of Famer. So if he wants to go somewhere 
And if they think that this is the right time to do that sell high and keep stocking up on, I don't, they don't need any more draft picks, but whatever they can get for him, but it's gotta be the right deal. Chris Paul does have, I think, incredible value. If you're a team like the Bucks or the Sixers that needs another piece to try to put you over the top for championship contention, um, help maybe even the Clippers go back to the Clippers. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that works or not, but um, you know, they, they do need, you know, they've talked about, they need a strong lead playmaker that Paul George and Kawhi are both good playmakers, but they're not the primary guy and the Lou Williams, Pat, Pat Beverly thing didn't. So, I mean, I could see a contending team could use him. There's been speculation about the Knicks, which I don't think makes as much sense, but if the Thunder can find the right return package and it's somewhere that Chris Paul wants to go, and I do think he'll have a, a voice in this, he doesn't have, he can't stop it, but I think it's just a, a courtesy matter. Then, then yeah, I could see it. With the Bucks, I don't know how Milwaukee pulls it off. The people have, have, have done the deep dive analysis on this, and it is, it's very difficult to pull off given salaries, given um, the, the, just the Bucks situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, he would make some sense there. If you could find a way to get him there without giving up too much, he makes some sense there. I wanted to shift to the East Coast real quick. Brooklyn Nets, uh, with the current roster construction and a healthy KD, uh, do you believe they're contenders? And also, I think they need some 3 and D pieces. I think they need to make some moves. What are your thoughts on it? Well, let's first consider you know, the 30,000-foot look of just the Eastern Conference. I mean, we have what was to most people, everybody except for the Heat, everybody except Jimmy Butler, maybe a surprise Eastern Conference champion in the Heat. Yeah. That's an in indicator uh, in part of the volatility of the Eastern Conference or that, you know, you have Toronto that's that's trying to still figure out how to be a contender without Kawhi Leonard. Pascal Siakam was not quite up to that task, and maybe he will grow into that, but he's not there yet. And meanwhile, they've got Kyle Lowry getting up there in years. Ibaka and Gasol are free agents and are up there in, in, in years and mileage. So is Toronto still a contender? The Sixers are supposed to be a contender. Obviously, they were not. Does a new coach, Doc Rivers, whoever it may be, Mike D'Antoni, does yeah. that fix whatever has been ailing that team? Are the Bucks a contender after they went out in the second round? And, you know, is there, can, can they make the kind of changes that get them there? Um, the Celtics, were they just too young or do they need other pieces? I, I think they can grow into it. But what you have is a bunch of really, really strong teams that I think are kind of coin flips against each other, none of which are clear, absolute favorites starting next season. The Heat will get that title by default. So that's the context for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Kyrie and KD have never played together. I think chemistry is super duper important, and it doesn't matter how good of friends you are, you got to figure out how to play together. So that's one caveat. Second caveat, and maybe it should have been the first one, is will KD be KD? Achilles is, is, is a serious injury. He is, you know, on the backside of his career. We, we really don't know what he looks like or what he'll be until we actually see him back on the court. Rookie head coach is Steve Nash, who we all like and respect, um, universally respected in this league, but he's still a rookie head coach. He still has to kind of find his way. And to your point about shooting, do they have enough shooting? Do they have three and D guys? Um, what kind of role does Karis LeVert play now that he has to take a step back, assuming they don't use him in a trade to get something else? Spencer Dinwiddie's taking a couple of steps back as a guy who, who usually has the ball in his hands a lot. Is Jared yeah. Allen strong enough at center? Um, you know, yeah, you need a lot. Are, are they, it seems can they like resign Joe of, Harris? It seems like you need a lot of basketballs for that team. Is pretty much what you're saying. I think you see the thing is I think it'll be okay. Like Spencer Dinwiddie went from, you know, one foot out of the league it seemed like to 
finding his career in Brooklyn and, and becoming a, a really vital and really good player who was you know, borderline all-star at times, maybe the chance to win a championship, he's okay taking a step back given where he came from. Karis LeVert's still pretty young in his career. Again, when, when it's Ky- Katie and Kyrie who are going to take all those touches, maybe you're okay taking that step back. And I'm also one who believes if you can get guys to sacrifice, um, when you have – in this case, four guys who are all good with the ball in their hands, I think it's incredibly valuable. The more players you have who can initiate the offense, create open shots for themselves or teammates, if they're all okay with it, the value of having that many playmakers. Sacrifice is the word there, if you have those players with all that skill set. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, the Celtics were had to figure that out a little too. They had four guys in Kemba, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. All those guys can be primary offensive options who can initiate who can handle the ball and make plays so do the nets feel that confident about that foursome or do they feel like they need to flip one or two of them you know i assume it would be one of the other spencer and karis levert not both um that those those are some of the weighty issues they got to face this offseason yeah you know you said you mentioned that the east is up in the air. i really wanted to see houston in the east man i think they would have won the east what do you think the rockets yeah no <laughs> All right, let's get let's get off that topic. Last not thing a believer. Get, Sorry. <laughs> last thing we before we get out of here, LeBron, man, what does this mean for his legacy if he wins a championship in the bubble, which is looking like he will? My standard answer on LeBron for the last couple of years has been he could have retired after the the Cleveland championship and his 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 legacy was secure. Um, he's got three rings. He's got four MVPs. He's going to finish among the all-time leaders in scoring and in assists, both regular and postseason. He he is, you know, I've often said it this way. He is the best uh, scorer to ever be among the elite playmakers, uh, best playmaker to ever be among the elite scorers. In other words, if you line up the all-time points list and the all-time assist list, nobody else charts out as high as he does on, on both. He's incredible. He's, you know, wherever you want to put him, the GOAT debate, all that crap. His legacy is secure and off the court as well with, with all the work he's done in the community and, and politically and otherwise. That said, you know, we didn't know if he was going to have another shot like this. And the context of this season, given um, the uncertainties about whether the NBA could even play again, given the uncertainties about the, the Lakers, given the uncertainties about LeBron after going through the most serious injury of his career a year ago, it puts all this in a different light. And then the loss of Kobe in January – and what it means to this franchise that it's, it's a, you know, this, this is a very prideful franchise and championships are just kind of expected. It, it is, they, they feel yeah. like it's, you know, it's a, it's a manifest destiny thing for the Lakers for him to restore that. Um, after everything that I just mentioned is, would be incredible. And I do think that, you know, you can parse out his legacy, right? There's the overall legacy. There's the legacy in Cleveland, the legacy in Miami, the Laker legacy without a championship would have felt a little hollow because of Lakers exceptionalism because they get Kareem and magic and they win championships because they get Shaq and Kobe and they win championships. And then they get Pau Gasol and they win more chance. Like that's what this franchise is about. So for LeBron James, one of the two, three, wherever you want to put them, best players of all time to come there and not win a title, even though it was the last, last stages of his career would have been considered a, a big disappointment. So I think if nothing else, forget the big picture legacy, the Laker legacy is, is huge because Laker fans greeted him a little warily. They, were, they saw him as a rival to Kobe. They resented when people started elevating him over Kobe. 
um, at certain points, even in, in LeBron's first seven years in the league, his first stint with Cleveland. And now they, they, they embrace him wholeheartedly. He's beloved. Um, he has carried the torch beautifully. He, he and Kobe finally embraced each other before Kobe passed. Um, he is, he is really, uh, you know, endeared himself to Laker fandom and to win that title. Now it, it just seals it. It, it puts him among the all time Laker greats, even if his tenure there, <clears throat> excuse me, will be shorter than say Kobe's or magic's or Shaq's or Jerry West's or anybody else's. Yeah, rest in peace, Colby. And if LeBron wins six, where do you place him all time? If he gets to six, um, I say, look, he's already been to this is his tenth finals. Jordan went to six, won them all, and people loved the they loved the six and zero thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that being undefeated in the finals was ever a standard up until now yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, right, right, right. or being undefeated in the Super Bowl. I mean, taking a team to the finals is a big deal as well. Yes. Yes. And for all the people who are saying, well, I was in the East. It was weak. All right. Now he's in the West and the West is tough and he's still doing it. And now people will caveat it again and say, yeah, but the Warriors crashed and burned. The fr- oh, whatever. No, well, and, now, always- and, now, and now the heat injuries, they're going to go yeah. with that now. I don't know. Pe- people will always find a way to, to, to diminish if that's their goal. Um, right. In any era of, of, of this sport or any other, to make it to 10 finals or, or the championship round of any sport 10 times is insane. That he did it eight years in a row is insane. That he's done it nine out of 10. That he's doing it again, even at age 35, nearly 36, is insane. It's incredible. Um, and so I, I've never been one who could, you know, um, I, I, I struggle with the Jordan versus LeBron thing. Maybe it's partially because of generation and I'm, I'm the Jordan generation and everybody of my generation doesn't want to accept that LeBron could possibly be better than Jordan. So maybe I'm partially trapped in that. Maybe it's also just because the way I, just I'm built, the, the cross-generational comparisons, the, the trying to compare eras, I, I've just, it's always been a frustrating thing to me. I just don't think it's possible to do um, it with, with any, any real, um, I don't want to say scientific basis, but it just, it just can't be done. The game changes. The pace of the game, the style of the game, the, the, the tempo, um, everything changes. The players' body types, training there's so much that goes into that. And I, I just, I don't know how you decide. I don't I, like the debate is fine. I don't begrudge anybody for wanting to have the debate. It's a fun debate. All I'll say is this. If you claim it's Jordan, I, okay. I, don't, I won't argue it. If you claim it's LeBron, I won't argue it. I can make the case either direction and somewhere out there, there's the guy from the generation before me saying, why are you guys always leaving Kareem out of this? Um, and so it, it, it's, you know, it, it's uh it's a fun debate i don't i don't know that lebron winning this title or or another one after it or getting to six i'm not sure if it matters or not i do think just statistically you could pile it up right by that time he will own every statistical category he will have as many titles as jordan and way more finals appearances than jordan and the the, the people who want to denigrate him will say but yeah I'll look at all the times he lost still six championships is it would be incredible Howard, great stuff. Thank you for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show. Uh, please let us know where we can find you on social media and everywhere else. And what's next for you also, man? Talk to us. Talk to us. <laughs> yeah. No, well, first of all, thanks for having me. This was great. Great conversation. Appreciate uh, the, uh, the opportunity and the great questions. Um, Appreciate you. You can find me on Twitter at Howard Beck, which is about as, as uh, straightforward as a uh, Twitter handle can be. So it's easy to find me at Howard Beck. Um, 
And that will be where I have news eventually about my uh, next thing. My time at Bleach Report is winding down. Uh, my last podcast of the full 48, the last episode will be the day after the finals end. So whenever that is, if it ends in four, it'll be the day after uh, game four. Uh, if it ends in seven, it'll be the day after game seven. I do have something special, fun planned for that last episode um, and some great guests. And then the podcast will go away. I'll still have a couple more weeks of, of, of winding it down at, at Bleacher Report. And I hope, fingers crossed, knock on wood, I think I'll have a uh, better sense of, of what my next thing is by, let's say, the end of October. Um, got, you know, some, some things that, that uh, I'm working on and um, too soon to say, but yeah, some news coming soon. Happier news coming soon, I think. And in the meantime, if you want to uh, keep up with that, um, find me on Twitter at Howard Beck. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where the news will be. Appreciate that. I'll keep up with it. We'll keep up with it. Uh, Howard, you're always welcome back on the show. Thanks for taking the time and talk soon. All right, Andrew. Thanks to you. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court. Big shouts to Howard for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about this episode by dropping a comment right on your Apple Podcast app. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you listen to Combo's Court. And be on the lookout for episode 203. Combo out.